petition delegations, BC Salmon Farm Association. So this time, I believe Michelle Frantz is online, and I don't know about John Paul Fraser. Michelle, are you here? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Go ahead, Michelle. Um, actually, John's going to do the speaking today. So, John, I see he's online here, so I'm just going to okay. turn it to I'm here. Mayors, thank you for having us, councillors. Um, thank you, Michelle. Yeah. I think we're also joined by Dean Dabrinsky. Um, Dean, have you joined the call? Yes, I'm here, John. Thank yep. you. Dean Dean is from uh, Moet Canada West, and he'll go after me. Uh, I think it was important that we include um, Dean, who's the Director of Human Resources uh, and manages the communications, particularly around this decision, uh, and has his company as um, most greatly impacted. Uh, we okay. thought we would have him today as a resource in case there were any specifics about uh, some of the impacts that he could share that I couldn't. Thank you. Okay, I think at this point, Michelle's going to take control of the screen. And, uh, and then we're going to stop at one point and think Edith's going to take over to run the video and then I'll come back. And uh, I want to thank everyone for having us. Uh, we had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to um, present uh, a version of this report to members of the Mount Waddington Regional District. And uh, also earlier to the Council of the Whole of the City of Campbell River. Uh, which did include mayors uh, from uh, many of whom are on the call today from Gold River, um, Port Hardy, Port McNeil uh, and Sayward, uh, as well as Campbell River, obviously. And uh, we've presented this material to other associations, uh, the Vancouver Island Economic Alliance, uh, the BC Business Council, um, and also um, other local sort of chamber organizations. So if you've seen this before, and I think some of you have, I do apologize if it's uh, somewhat repetitive. Uh, but thank you for having us today. My job is to talk about the consequences of the decision uh, to shut down salmon farming. Um, and <laughs> and uh, I hear a little bit of feedback. And uh, that's what my, my focus. My focus is to talk a bit about uh, this report, which we made public uh, a couple of weeks ago now, uh, attracted a fair amount of attention. So today's an opportunity for me to present it. If there are detailed questions about the report, I'm happy to take them. Unfortunately, our economist, uh, Doug Blair, who produced it, uh, is not available today, but uh, I know that he'd be very willing to follow up with anyone if they had any specific questions about some of the data and uh, modeling. Just a, a little bit of context on so the next slide, Michelle. Uh, just some context. I, I think most of you know this already, um, uh, but that we are the association of over, over 70 members, uh, primarily on BC's coast, primarily in northern Vancouver Island is where most of our members are from. The vast majority are small, local, medium-sized businesses. We have some municipal governments like Port Hardy who are members. We have a number of uh, several indigenous-owned businesses as well. Uh, so it's quite a, a large uh, spectrum of, uh, of folks involved in our, in our community. We uh, support salmon farming in general. Over 6,500 family-supporting jobs are related 
indirectly, directly, or induced through salmon farming according to uh, the data that we've been able to produce. <clears throat> Every salmon farmer in BC has been certified by at least one third-party organization, such as Aquaculture Stewardship Council, which is really the gold standard. And of note, those farms in the Discovery Islands have received that certification. Uh, the farm-raised salmon is really, um, and we should be proud of this on our coast, the most climate-friendly protein that's raised on the planet today that we know of. It has the lowest carbon input output uh, that you can get, and uh, that's, a, that's a really important value for us. Not mentioned here, but uh, absolutely should be, and uh, I'm mad that it's not, is about 80% of the salmon that we do produce uh, comes via partnership agreements with uh, local Indigenous governments. Um, uh, we, uh, on a weekly basis, <clears throat> so over 6 million meals uh, that go and go to Canada and go globally. And through this last um, pandemic, when we were declared an essential service uh, by governments, federal and provincial, we were also able to, uh, very importantly, uh, donate over 500,000 half a million meals to Canadian families through food banks uh, here in Vancouver Island, but also across the country through Food Banks Canada Partnership. And that's certainly something we hope to continue. And I know the food banks very much would love, would love that. It was an excellent, excellent partnership. So you've got the number one agricultural export commodity, and it contributes 1.6 billion annually to BC's economy. And those aren't numbers, those are people. Those are, those are citizens, those are neighbors. These are people that are doing it. It's, uh, it's not some sort of a big machine. It's a lot of folks working hard together over uh, many decades to really build what we have on the coast and we're very proud of. We had, next slide, Michelle, we had uh, done some work um, over the course of the fall to produce for the provincial government primarily an economic impact analysis because obviously uh, the region, the province is facing the biggest economic impact uh, that anyone has ever experienced. There's no one really alive in the world unless you're over 100 years old. So I guess there's a few folks out there uh, who've ever seen an economic decline the way that uh, that, we, that we currently have. And no one has experienced, because it hasn't happened yet, uh, how we're going to get out of it. And uh, throughout the pandemic, we could see that our sector was quite resilient in terms of uh, job impacts. We received uh, essential service designation. And we had begun to think that, you know what, particularly for Northern Vancouver Island, and the questions that were being asked by government of industries and sectors, who's going to help with the recovery of our economy? And so we produced a, a very detailed report that projected about a billion dollars uh, in 10,000 new jobs over a 30-year period if there was incremental, sustainable, um, practical um, increase in production on our coast. Given what, where the market was at, where the where community interest was at, and, and how we could invest and where our investment strategies were going. So really exciting vision, and we were really proud to present that to uh, local, uh, local regional governments and also to uh, the provincial government. And we're kind of only beginning our efforts to communicate uh, what we could do and how we would want to help with economic recovery. And then December 21st happened, or sorry, December 17th. And um, it's, uh, I think, fair to say that it's uh, absolutely devastating consequence for our sector that we're still getting our heads around because of the shock 
but three months in, uh, things were beginning to get clear. And um, we produced a short video here that I think we should go to next uh, that I think will just show uh, what kind of real world, real person impact this decision is going to have. And then I can talk a bit about its impact. So that's the cue to move to the, here we are. My biggest thing is what am I going to do if this shuts us down? I'm only a three-year homeowner now. I have a child to worry about. So I think it's uh, the closer we get, I think it'll finally start kicking in for me. If they're closing down 30% of production without any consultation, well, where does that end? This is my home, and to have this uncertainty that it might all just disappear and be wiped away is very concerning. Will I be able to support my family? What will I tell them? I've moved miles away from them so that I would be useful, and I'm worried that I might be useless. We'll, we'll be out of work. The, the two boats will be out of work and our crew will be out of work. For the minister to make a decision like that should have made sure all those bases are covered. Throwing the fish farms under the bus is not going to revive those rivers if we're having problems with other rivers where there is no fish farms. It's very frustrating. I try to make a point and they tell me um, I'm lying or I'm bought by the industry or anything like that because one, I put my ethics before money. I would never be in an industry where I thought they were doing harm to the environment. And uh, two, it's just not true. Sometimes you can't even tell people that you work in this industry because they already imagine mean, gruff, monster people growing these fish. But we're people. Thank you, Edith, for, for coordinating that. thought it was important today to just um, uh, uh, be able to show some of the folks that are being impacted by this decision. Um, and that's what that hope, hope that video can communicate. Um, I'm told I'm getting a, I'm getting a, uh, an email uh, from Central Command that uh, my time is coming to an end. So I'm just going to race quickly through the rest of our presentation and happy to take questions. So the decision, um, and it's all available on our on our um, uh, on our website, uh, looks at about a 25% um, wiping out of production on the uh, on the west coast. That's a quarter. Uh, in, a, in an 18-month period, it's by any measure uh, unprecedented for any sector. Imagine forestry having to cut 25% of its allowable cut in 18 months with no plan, no offer for help, and really no 
rationale. Uh, we're looking at over 1,500 jobs that could be imp uh, impacted, both induced, uh, direct, and indirect. Uh, we've uh, measured and, and all that. By the way, and all these are numbers, but they're also, like I said, people. And uh, our numbers have been validated and verified by the provincial government. In fact, we met with them repeatedly as we were developing this report to ensure that what we produced for you and for everyone was the best information we could. I'll say on the bottom, uh, that number is actually elevated a little bit in terms of euthanization. And I'll let Dean mention, talk a bit about that if, uh, if there are questions. But we're looking now around 12 million uh, salmon that could be euthanized. It's a hard number to put a value on uh, because the situation is so fluid literally and figuratively and uh, open to questions. But the last one, uh, 20 million, second to last one, uh, that will not be spent potentially on local suppliers. I think what should really cause the most concern, forget the big multinationals, and Dean, you know I love you, but understand that um, what really powers this sector are small, medium and local sized businesses in, in the region that support uh, the activity on the sites. Next slide. Um, and these are the, some of the fallout. Now it's happening. Uh, this isn't, I remember when I first projected the, 20, the 1500 number, there were a lot of people who said that I was fear mongering. Um, well, I hope the data demonstrates that I wasn't and I didn't mean to. Um, it is a, was our best guess at the time and remains so. Um, and I projected layoffs starting in February, that's occurred. Uh, there is a freeze on all capital investment. Uh, and that will have an imp economic impact in our communities. Again, that's not money, that's people. Next. And uh, on our site, we wanted to produce this really, and I think hope it's powerful for, for you guys, especially given that uh, you're the closest to the people. That's what local government is and the, way, the, the interconnectedness of the sector across all of our, um, across the entire network is is quite remarkable and it's really the most interconnected sector uh, on North Island and this decision has pulled one of those threads and we're not sure uh, what's going to happen as a result beyond what we've been able to produce really just for the region specific to Campbell River and uh, the Discovery Islands area. Next slide. Um, and we've tried to be with government and I think this is where there'll be conversation today or maybe not. There could be other conversation areas. We tried to be very clear about what we're asking for. I want to make it 100% clear. We are not asking government to reverse its decision. Okay, there was a process. It occurred. We weren't a part of it. Decision has been made. All we're asking for is more time to consider that decision because more time is necessary. Uh, if you look at the Broughton as an example, we're three years into a process to review and potentially remove some of the sites with less production. This is 18 months, half that time for more production, and we're already three months into it. And when that decision was made in the Broughton, there was no time frame associated with removal or review or whatever, because that had to occur in concert with industry and nations sitting down with government and coming up with a plan, which we did and we were able to meet and, and, and have a great event, two of them at the provincial legislature with nations, with government and industry on how best to implement the, the Broughton protocols. We're asking for the same here. 18 months is a unworkable amount of time. 
big part of that is that the transfer hasn't occurred. So they're, I like to call them baby fish. I'm not a scientist, so I can say that. They have nowhere to go. And the government was told that, warned about that, ignored that. Fish don't come to life when they get introduced into the ocean. They come to life when they get introduced and in, in birthed and broodstocked in a hatchery. And more than about half their life exists there. to be completed. And then the table, let's bring everyone together and figure out how to do this because it has been done, it can be done, uh, and it can minimize the impact on animals, most importantly on people. And we can also create some unity because right now my concern is that there's a lot of, there's going to be increased tension in our communities as, as this decision continues to unfold. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you very much, JP. Um, I'll open up for questions from any directors at this time. Director Davis. Uh, can you hear me? I just need to check this connection. Yep, everything's good. Uh, okay. We can't hear you, yes. Okay, good. Um, I, I understand the fish farm industry. I've worked in it in the past as a diver and building these pens, and I understand the benefits of the economy. But the thing is, I mean, there there has been many issues with disease, sea lice, that sort of thing. In Nooka Sound, where I live, uh, we, we've had 100% mortality uh, last year from anoxic conditions. There's, there's a lot of issues around these farms. And uh, my question is, um, the, the writing has been on the wall for a while that we're eventually going to have to move to closed containment. It's, having, it's happening in other areas, such as the U.S. And why is your company not moving in that direction? Because I think in order to adapt and survive, this is what you're going to have to do. And, and in fact, you're, you're fighting this decision in court. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm not a company, so if Dean is with me on the call. I think he could easily take the first crack at that, yeah. uh, that question. Go ahead, Dean. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give it my best shot anyways. Um, so to answer your, your, your first question, uh, Moe has been very clear that when, if and when uh, land-based uh, salmon farming is a profitable or shows to be a profitable, um, I guess, business um, exercise, it is something that they would certainly be looking at to add to and supplement the ocean salmon farming. Um, there is not at this point a profitable business model for land-based salmon farming and certainly if there were to be land-based farms you will see them they will not be happening on Vancouver Island and they will not be supporting the 6,500 positions that this business currently supports. You need you need a large land base, you need a active water supply, you need a extensive amount of energy. And so while our company and other companies continue uh, of long term um, salmon farming companies look at land base, it's not been proven to be um, a, a financially viable industry to this point. Um, I'm sorry I missed your second question, Martin. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just asking why you haven't uh, shown a willingness to adapt and, and that you uh, are in fact fighting the government over this because this has been 
the writing's been on the wall for quite a while, and uh, I, I'm not sure. Maybe that wasn't my second question. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think they were kind of rolled in together there. I'd be happy to jump in there too, Dean. If you sure. Like. Yeah, go ahead, John. And to say that the companies haven't adapted is uh, a remarkably inaccurate statement. And if you like, I can send you a briefing, note, particularly when it comes to lice management. That has gone on over the last years. We can even identify the over half a billion dollars that's been invested in new technologies and new systems in and around lice management over the last decade. And we can talk about prevention, we can talk about monitoring, we can talk about rec regulation, we can talk about response, we can talk about the nine CSAS reports that came out of the Cohen Commission, none of which found that the presence of aquaculture posed any more than minimal risk to the wild migrating salmon through that region, which was the standard of the Cohen Commission. So to say the writing's been on the wall, yeah, the writing's been on the wall for the last nine years and every single time it's been written, it says no more than minimal risk. Okay. So what you're talking about here is you're talking about an industry moving to unproven technology based on non-scientific principles and what, the first question, interesting, that's not asked is about the people that are now in harm's way. That should be of primary interest to elected officials. Well, fair okay. enough. Thank you. I live okay. in Nuxley. Martin, Martin, I'm going to, I've got more speakers, so I'm going to move on first. If we okay. have time, we'll come Thanks. back. Okay, Director Cornfield. Thank you, Chair. And, uh, I guess my question to you is uh, probably JP, I guess. The first I had heard about the meals was uh, with the uh, euthanization of 10.7 million smolts. And you, when you look at that, what does that mean in terms of meals? And I think the first estimate was somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 million meals. Now I see in a report that we had attached to our agenda that it's about equivalent about two years of the province total harvest of wild salmon over or over 210 million meals. So is the 210 million the correct number that is a direct result of euthanizing the fish? I, I can take this part, John, if you want. <clears throat> so um, thanks, Charlie. It's a good question. So the, we, um, about three weeks ago, we had to kill 925,000 fish in our hatchery. That was the equivalent of 14 million meals. That's probably the number that you're, you're oh, familiar okay. with. Um, the, the number, uh, and that's based, basically it's based on a six ounce portion. Uh, of, of salmon, which is the standard meal size that you would buy in, in the serving in, in the store or on a, in a restaurant. So it's based on that number. Um, you, using uh, 10.7 million, we've, we've continued to um, we've, we've continued to add fish into what we have within our systems because as you can imagine, it's, it's hard to count individual fish. But uh, the 10.7 million smolts um, are salmon at various stages in their life cycle is the equivalent of over 200 million um, meals that will that are, are going to be lost. Okay, thank you. And second uh, is just a statement, I guess, and that's in terms of land-based fish farming, and I've been involved with it, and we were approached 
when I was with Ice-T to fund one, but there was no business case that could be made for it. And I guess one of the advantages that we have in our province and on our coast is that the cost to produce in open uh, net pens or closed containment, but in the ocean, uh, is it's a reduced cost. Uh, Land-based operations are extremely expensive and my old economics and resources looks at the resource and what it takes to convert that to a usable product. If it goes uh, land-based, it will not be in small communities on the west east coast of Vancouver Island and the coast of BC. It's going to be where the markets are because the only way to make up for that difference in the economics from losing the efficiency of marine uh, growing and growing out is to move it closer to the market. And that's the only other advantage they'd have. So it's not going to be here. And uh, and anyone that uh, thinks that removing fish farms is going to instantly make salmon, uh, wild salmon stocks return, is living a dream. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Cornfield. I'm Director Anderson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I mean, I certainly have a lot that I could add in terms of my opinion about things. Uh, I'm happy to share a couple of things, but really my question to, to John Paul is what are, you, what are you asking of us? What is your request? Um, because we could go on for hours having a debate about the pros and cons of sure. salmon farming and the you know what to do at this point. Uh, I you know I really concur with um, Director Davis and I think this has been a long time coming and I would have really loved to have seen more effort by this the um, the industry overall to start to transition. And we are in a very unfortunate position now where a lot of people are going to be desperately impacted because there hasn't been some kind of transition plan put in place either by government or by industry proactively. Um, so you're absolutely right. We do care about our constituents. We do care about their jobs. We do care about their welfare. Um, but it's not our job to, you know, to bail out an industry per se, even though it really impacts our communities. Um, now, if you're asking us to go you know, alongside you and ask for a transition plan to government to ask for some assistance in, you know, re uh, retraining, retooling. But I'm I'm not interested at all in asking for an overturn, a revoking of the decision or even a delay of the decision because it's been a long time coming. So I guess my question to really simply to you is what are you asking here of the board today? JP. Sure. It was those the, those three T's at the end of my presentation: time, transfer, and table. Let's start. We could even start with table if you wanted to go in that order. Uh, time is uh, is not delay. Time is uh, trying to figure out how to do this to minimize the impact on people. I take I take issue with the fact that the industry hasn't been engaged in transition, and in particular in the Discovery Islands area. If uh, at some bit some later point you, we want to have a conversation about. The level of science that's been conducted in that area. The, uh, when the I, when the I mean transition, I mean transition out of the water. I'm not saying that you haven't been proactive in all kinds of ways. So I understand that you have some really clear requests of, of the decision maker on this around time and transition. What yeah. is your request of our board as a non-decision maker? To support maker? that effort. I mean, what we're, I guess the problem we have right now, Director Anderson, is that we have a federal government that hasn't returned any phone calls in three months since they made this decision. In fact, they didn't even call us the minister didn't even call us to announce the decision. We heard from uh, her officials 15 minutes before it was made. 
Uh, which, by the way, according to former Chief Asu, is about the same amount of time that he got when he was informed that this decision was being made in his territory, uh, which is why he described his nation as being completely railroaded through this process by the federal government. That's, the, that's what predicates this entire decision. So we're saying, let's just step back here. And like I said from the beginning, and people have twisted my words when we say reconsider that I'm trying to reverse, no one has been saying that. We're not asking for the decision to be reversed. 100% clear, we're being recorded. We are not asking for this decision to be reversed. We are asking for time to figure out how to do it so that fewer of your constituents are negatively impacted. That is all. It's exactly what we did in the Broughton. It's what we can do again. Let's go into the Library of Government, pull off from the shelf that says B, look up the word Broughton, and follow the plan. When the Premier took issue with the Federal Minister who described this process as reconciliation, he did it with the Broughton process in mind. It was an exercise and an effort to emerge from a process that, that led to a difficult decision for reconciliation purposes more united than when we entered. It was never apparently the interest of this government to do that here. And we're asking other levels of government then to help us remind the federal government that there is a different approach, reach the same outcome, but alter the trajectory so that fewer people are negatively impacted. And the fact that, in fact, that director, last point, the fact that we're three months into this, Director Anderson, without any reply, response, or indication of what the path forward might be from the government who made that decision should give us all a great deal of concern. So, Mike, so do you have one more question, Director Anderson? Um, it was just a clarification. It's not an additional question, but I would like to hear from the industry what your plan is to transition um, out of the Broughtons to meet the decision that was made. And I think the word reconsideration in my world does mean that you're asking to look at the whole decision again and make a different. So perhaps there's a bit different word to that. Well, but you if, know, you're, if you're indeed no. looking for a different time frame, I would ask that you lay that out for us. Provincial um, because you're the one that really know what you're doing. When the provincial government announced the decision in the Broughton to first remove and potentially remove farms, it didn't apply a time frame because it okay. needed to be done in an orderly manner. That's what good government does. Okay, thank you. So I have no further questions at this time. So with that, I will thank JP and Dean for, and Michelle for the presentation today. We wish you good luck as we move forward into uh, better days coming forward. Thank you very much.